Well, good morning, OCEC. It is good to be with you this morning. You know, we say that, I think, each week. And lately, since we've been doing these online, it hasn't always been true, I'll be honest. There's been a sort of, well, now that I say it, and I think to myself, uh, I wish I was with all of them, and I'm not. So I'm not that excited that I'm recording rather than getting to be with everybody. But this week, I am genuinely grateful to get to be here recording into this camera for you. Uh, Because uh, with the week I had, I wasn't really very sure that I was even going to end up being presentable enough to be on camera. Um, I had my birthday last week, and uh, it was on Wednesday, and I wanted to go outdoors with my kids. I wanted to, like, go do something outdoors. But Wednesday was all rainy and dreary, so... I said, Ellie, I'm going to try to get the message done uh, pretty quick on Friday and get it recorded and everything, and then we'll take the kids. Friday's supposed to be a sunny day, and we'll go for a hike. And so we went for a hike on Friday, put the kids in the car. They were upset they had to leave the house. And we uh, drove to a spot on the Clackamas River and just went on this beautiful, amazing, incredible hike. Now, when we uh, go out hiking as a family, we, uh, we obviously have to go find a pretty well-marked trail. Uh, we don't really go, we're not going backpacking here. Uh, we're, 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 we go find a pretty solid trail, you know, we, nice to have a bathroom at the beginning of it too. Uh, maybe some, some markers along the trail and usually other people that we can see at some point. And uh, because we're not, uh, well, we've got kids with us and our kids like to run off. Now, uh, this interesting thing happens every time that we go hiking. Even though we want to make sure that we go places uh, where other people go, you know, like we don't just, we didn't just pull off on the side of the road and walk into the woods. We said, let's go find a trail. Let's go find somewhere to go, somewhere that's marked, somewhere that we know that we're going to get out at some point. Uh, Even though we want to go where everybody's gone and to go hiking where everyone's going, uh, once we get on that path, we keep finding ourselves drawn off of the path. Uh, I, uh, I have this, um, well, we just have this desire, it seems, to, uh, well, I guess it's not all that crazy, really, uh, this desire, once you're out in nature, to really get to go see things that other, maybe, maybe to get to go to the places where not everyone goes, right? When we're out in nature, we want to be out in what's wild. We want to take the road that maybe not everyone has taken, because we think, maybe I'll see something cool, maybe I'll see something new. Uh, and even just the idea of being out in nature, you're away from people. So the idea of getting away and doing something different appeals to us. I know it appeals to my kids, because they basically just run off the path whenever they get a chance. And if they see something that even looks like a little bit of a footpath, they're gone, right? Well, I have this really awesome tradition, and I, man, I love it. Uh, It's become a tradition since I moved up here um, to Oregon. Over the past few years, um, I have, uh, every spring, I go and, and I go out in the woods as soon as it gets sunny and everything grows back, and I go and I get poison oak. Uh, And I, I just get it, every year I get it, somewhere new and exciting. And what I mean by somewhere new and exciting is I don't just mean I go to a place that is new and exciting, but I, which I do, but I also get it on a place that is new and exciting. And this year uh, was, was the best, I got to tell you, because a couple days after our hike, you know, running off the path and chasing after my kids and exploring all the cool unexplored things, um, I woke up and my eyes were swollen shut. Um, and I thought, huh, that's weird. That's not a normal thing for me. So I took some Benadryl and I kind of waited a day and 
And then I went to bed that night and, and I had the weirdest dream. It was this really vivid dream uh, where I had poison oak uh, on my arms and I was like scratching them, they're really itchy. And I remember thinking like, this is a very specific thing, thing to dream about. And I woke up and I was like, oh, I have poison oak. That's why I dreamed, dreamt that. And sure enough, like all down my arm and everything was really itchy and I was like, you know, I wonder if these two things are connected, if this thing where my face is swollen and this poison oak on me is connected. So I uh, called my doctor and uh, they had me come in and they said, sure enough, yep, you got poison oak everywhere. So you have it on your arms, you have it on your legs, you got it on your neck, and it looks like you got it on your face and it's even on your eyes. I think you can still see some right here. Uh, it's even on your eyes. And, uh, and so, yeah, let's, uh, they gave me some steroids, which is why obviously I'm, you know, bigger than I was last week. But, um, and then I just got to have a fun week of, you know, uh, you know, trying out, you know, all, all kinds of, you know, lotions and creams and soaps and everything. And, um, and the fear was that by the time, it, well, by the time it came time to actually record the message that I, I was gonna like not be presentable enough to be standing in front of you guys because it looked pretty bad. Um, maybe like, uh, in fact, if you're watching this and it's in standard def, it's like not, it's like, got the boxes on the side, you know, because it's not widescreen and it's a little fuzzy. It just, I'm sorry, I apologize. That's because I wrote the sermon and I needed to deliver it and needed to give it and teach it and, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm not presentable enough to be in high definition. Um, otherwise, we'll just, uh, you know, if we're desperate, I guess, and I watch this and it looks terrible, I'll just blur it out. I'll put a bunch of pixels over my face and then you guys won't have to look at my face. Uh, the problem with doing that, though, is then you guys will be like, oh, can we just pixelize this guy every week? Um, I, uh, I, I say that thing about, um, so I am really glad to be here and to be doing this, and I can't wait until next year to see where am I going to get poison oak next. Um, but it does happen every time we, we go out, and I have to say, partly my fault, because it's true that even though I, I want to go out places where other people are, because that's kind of safe, I always want to take the path that like other people haven't taken. It makes me feel like kind of an adventurer. And I don't think that's unique to me. I think that's the way that many of us are. In fact, we find ourselves a lot in life being torn between a very simple decision is when, when facing two different roads or sort of two choices, uh, do I go down the one that looks like the one everybody goes down or do I go down one that maybe is less traveled? The name of our message this week is uh, the road, uh, the path less taken, the path not, the, the path less traveled. And, um, and, and the road less traveled. And, and the, the reason that we call it that is because this is a, a time in Acts that we've, that we've come to that really is like a fork in the road. It's a point when the church has to decide what it's going to be about and what it's going to do. There's a, a famous poem by the famous American poet Robert Frost, and uh, it's called The Road Not Taken. And um, he says this in the, in the beginning of this poem. He, he describes himself uh, a man on a hike, and, and he says, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And he goes on and describes basically this choice. Which path am I going to take? This is a choice that we face all the time. Uh, but in terms of uh, not just being on walks, 
but in making decisions because that's what this really represents. That's what the two paths represent in life, which is why this poem is so famous and it resonates with so many because this man describes looking down each path and trying to decide which one will I go down. And he even says at a point, he says, I, I intend to come back another day and to take the one that I, that I don't take now. But I know really from the life that I've lived up till this point that that's not very likely. I probably won't come back and try that path sometime. And ultimately, the poem ends this way. It ends sort of in, in resignation. He says, uh, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Ultimately, he says he takes the road less traveled. Why is this poem so famous? Because it represents something that we all know very well, which is the points that we come to in life when we have to make a choice. And whether we want to or not, we choose which path to go down. And the reason that there is a path less taken is because usually it's harder, it's more unpredictable, or it's kind of a cycle. And what I mean by that is, because it's less taken, fewer people still will take it. They'll say, at the end of the day, I just want to do what's safe. I want to do what other people do. I want to do what's predictable. And so the path that is well-worn is the one I'm going to stick with. I mean, isn't that wisdom, right? To, to do what others have learned to do before me. But there are times in life when the path that is not taken is not taken not because it's wrong, but because it's right. Because it's harder and maybe less predictable, but also usually requires some sacrifice. The point that we're at in Acts is pivotal. Uh, to be pivotal means to, 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 to have to make a choice. And this is where the church finds itself. The leaders of the church, Peter and the apostles. As Matt just read um, in this in this very short passage, as they appoint new leaders, they are dealing with a problem. And, and, and the fact that they deal with this problem and what they do about it tells us everything about the church. And there's something I have to say about this message, and it's this. This is not really going to be a typical message this morning. Um, it's, um, it's, it's not going to be about necessarily the individual inner life of every believer, and what I mean by that is it may, be hard, it may be difficult for you to walk away this morning and say, that's exactly what I should do as a Christian today. But what this passage does tell us, and it's why we have to look so closely at it, is it tells us so much about the church and about how the church started. And if we don't understand this, then we will not understand the way the church is supposed to be today. Sadly, I think many don't. And as a result, the path that the church is ultimately called to go down is a path that is less taken, a path that is often not taken by most. There are points in life when we face decisions, and we can't go back from that decision. 
I can think of numerous examples, and, and I, I won't even necessarily get into any to give to you because I'm sure that you could think of some, but you know, we have the big ones, the ones that change the course of our life, and we realize there's no going back now. Then we have the little ones that we make every day, constantly, but we know what it's like to have to make a choice and to say, my life is now going down this path, and it could have gone down that one. This is where the church is at right now. And this is so important that we look at it. The first thing that we see, and this whole passage is about this, is it's about a problem. This passage is about a problem that the church has to deal with. And so we have to look at that problem and we have to look at the solution, the way that they solve it and what they do. Because this problem, even in and of itself, tells us a lot about about the church in Acts. So the problem that we see in the very beginning, in, 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 in the first verse here of chapter 6, is this. It says, um, it says, now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So right, right away we have the problem. It's stated pretty clearly. Uh, now keep in mind that... Um, uh, up until this point, and it's said right here, the church is growing. Okay, so if you've ever been a part of a church that was growing really fast, then that's what it's like here. Okay, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of positivity. There's not usually a lot of compl complaining and grumbling going on, but that's what's happening here. Now, uh, in, in the synagogue, in the Jewish synagogue, there was a, there was a routine, and it was a tradition that happened for, for, for a long time. It was a custom. Two collectors would go around the market, around private houses, and they would take a collection, starting on Friday morning. And they would collect food and some money, and then they would, uh, at, at Sabbath, at the service in the tabernacle in the temple, they would, they would bring it and they would distribute it amongst the people who were in need. Now we read about this uh, a little bit before in, um, in Acts where we read about the sort of, you know, they sold what they had, they, they divided it evenly amongst themselves. So it's happening in a really extreme way here uh, in the church in Jerusalem because there's a, there's a lot of people who have just kind of moved in the area and stayed there because that's where this new group is. That's where the Christian church is sort of starting. And so they stay here in Jerusalem. Um, and, uh, and a lot of them, uh, there are widows, there are people that are poor. So basically this, this offering is going around, it's being collected. And, uh, and, and what they say to the, uh, to the apostles is pretty simple, right? There, there are Hellenist Jews and they're not uh, being uh, widows and they're not being given the same as everyone else. So, so the first thing that we see here, the first sort of problem, uh, and, and this is the way I think the best way to look at what happens here, is we're going to look at the problem, we're going to look at the, the solution, how they solve the problem, and then we're going to look at what the qualifications are for the people that they use to solve the problem. The first is this, the problem that's, that's the most obvious, I think, right away is this, is that the differences between groups still seem to exist even within the church. So you have these different groups of people, and as much as we would like to think that in a healthy, growing, vibrant, spirit-led church, that there are no different groups, right? There, there doesn't need to be difference between people, that everyone can be the same, that in fact, the same kinds of groups that you see outside the church, 
you kind of are gonna see inside the church oftentimes, and that's what's happening here. Now, these different groups, there's a reason for this division, uh, and we read about it all the way back in Joshua. Uh, in Joshua chapter one, which is right before the Israelites are gonna enter into the promised land, uh, in Joshua chapter one, he is giving these instructions to God's people before they enter the promised land. He says this in Joshua 1, 7, and 8. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written within it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So this is really important. This is the sort of guiding light and principle for the Israelites moving forward. Just as they are preparing to head into the promised land, God gives them very clear instructions. And the instructions are this. You are now about to come into contact with the rest of the world. Now, you're going to uh, come into this promised land and you're going to displace people who are there. And you're going to have the choice if you do the things they did or if you do the things I'm telling you to do. Uh, now, he also knows that there are going to be points when, in, in their future when they're even going to be invaded. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of different circumstances where they are crossing paths with other people and he's being very clear. He's saying, from this point forward, you are to be God's people set apart and holy for him. And so the way that you do that is you obey these laws and customs and you remain distinct. Be different. Don't become like everyone else. This becomes the mantra of the Jewish people. Don't become like everyone else. Be different. And he's very clear. He says, if you remain distinct, God will be your strength. He will bless you. If you become like other people, and specifically, he really harps on worshiping their gods. If you become like other people, then, then God will allow you to fall and to, to be punished and to, and to suffer. And that's exactly what we see happen. Uh, and and so, so this, all the way back to Joshua, becomes the most important thing in what it means to be a Jew, a Jewish person. And so eventually, they are conquered. They are, they are overtaken by the Babylonians. And when this happens, there is a dispersion, which means they're dispersed around. Some of them stay around Jerusalem and Judea, but most of them are sent out as slaves to go live in these other places. And as they go out, they don't forget this, this guiding light and this principle. Even as we go out as slaves, even as we go out into their lands and their countries and their territories, we will remember our customs, right? We will obey these laws. We will not intermarry with other people. We will not worship other gods. And we read about that. We read about things uh, like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys that are told to, to worship uh, you know, this, this other king and God, and they say, no way, and what happens? So this dispersion happens. Then, uh, many years after that, there's another uh, sort of exile, another dispersion that happens when uh, another culture, the Assyrians, they come and they sort of conquer what the Babylonians conquered. So then the Jewish people get sort of scattered again and, and they get sent out as slaves again. And then eventually the Romans will come and this will all become the Roman Empire. And that's where we're at now. And so there's been hundreds of years of 
of the Jewish people being sent to live all these different places. And, and at one point, they were able to come back into Jerusalem and they were able to build a temple and they were able to start worshiping again there. And so what you have is here, where Acts is taking place, in Jerusalem, uh, where the, sort of the, the, the temple is, that's the center of the Jewish faith. That's the most Jewish place that you could go. And in that place, they have been able to keep speaking Hebrew. They've been able to keep speaking their language. In all the other places, uh, there are often these other groups of Jewish people, and they're called Hellenized Jews. And what that means is uh, the culture is Greek, and uh, that's what Hellenist, Hellenistic culture is. It's Greek culture. And so there are basically all of the people who have come to Jerusalem now for the, for the Pentecost, and they came. They came because they're good, loyal, faithful Jews, and they, uh, they remained distinct, even in these other far-off places. But they speak the other language. You know, they, they speak Greek, or they speak, you know, they, they don't speak um, Hebrew, and they don't speak Aramaic as, uh, as, we're, as uh, so far the people in the temple do. So they come all the way to Jerusalem, which is a big deal. They come for the holy days. They, they came for Pentecost. And then this crazy thing happened with tongues of fire and the apostles, and, and then they hear about this Jesus guy, and they believe. They believe that the Messiah has come. They stay here. They say, we're going to do something that the, that the Jewish people in Jerusalem don't even have to do. We're going to not go back to our home. We're going to stay here because this is where this new group is, and we believe in Jesus the Messiah. So what you have is the church growing, and you have two different groups. Now, uh, when you read, this is where I'm going to try not to get too into the history of it, even though it is so, so, so fascinating. Um, when you read the accounts of other historians, of other cultures talking about the Jewish people at these times, they talk about them as though they're all the same kind of person. And the way they talk about them is this, they are their own thing. The Jews are set apart. The Jews are always doing their own thing. They have their own customs, their own traditions. They have their weird diet stuff. They won't intermarry. They're pretty specific about that stuff. And so what you get a sense of is that speaking the other language isn't really an indication that they gave in, that they allowed themselves to be corrupted um, because they, they, they didn't. Um, in fact, uh, other people speak of them as, it's one of the reasons why when the Jewish people are spoken of, oftentimes it's as this big, huge collective group because they kind of stand out. They stand out as the people who refused to, to compromise and to become like everyone else. And the one thing they like would never do is like bow down to other gods and worship other gods. So you, you see uh, this uh, exists, these two kinds of Jews. You have the Palestinian uh, and then you have the, the Hellenistic, the people that come from the outside. Now, obviously, the Palestinian Jews, the, the, the people from Jerusalem, they think that they're the most Jewish people. They think, you know, we've, we, we are obviously the purest, right? We speak the language. We're in Jerusalem. This is the center. These are the chief priests. These are all the Pharisees with these guys. We're really, obviously, the, the strongest, the best, the most mature. Anything big that's going to happen in the church, that's going to happen in this group, is going to happen with us. But they let the Greek people come in. They let the Hellenist people come in. That's the reason why uh, in Pentecost, it's such a big deal that the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire gave them the ability to speak different languages because there were so many different languages 
for these Jewish people to hear, not just Hebrew. The first problem that we see here is this, that there are still groups, there are still different groups and kinds of people, even in a healthy church. That that's not a bad thing, but we see that that's become a problem here because the leaders are all one kind. Well, the other problem that we see uh, is, is this, the men that Jesus had chosen, that they had blind spots. Now, this is kind of a big statement uh, because uh, you think about it for a second. These men who Jesus has chosen himself, who have been anointed, who are doing miraculous, insane things, have blind spots. They're not really doing everything that they maybe could or should be doing. These guys were doing absolutely incredible things. They were, they were speaking and evangelizing in a way that would like have Billy Graham rushing up to them and saying, tell me how to do this because you guys, I could learn a lot from you. They are uh, miraculously healing people at such a rate that like they could get any slot in some Christian cable healing praise hour show uh, right now. Uh, they are using the kind of boldness and courage that, that would eventually inspire some incredible missionaries across the world. Um, but uh, even the greatest missionary feats since then almost seemed to pale in comparison to the, the boldness that, that these guys have. It's so clear that these guys are the right guys. You see, it is so common in the church for ambition to take over in leadership and for uh, especially when big things are happening, when success is happening, when, when people are coming, when churches are growing, when numbers are increasing, uh, it is so easy to let ambition take over. And, and what, that, what I mean by that is uh, this thing that belongs to God where he's using a person begins to be this thing that belongs to a person. Uh, and we have to take them and all that comes with them, and say that this ministry, this movement is their movement. Uh, as these people came and were complaining to the apostles, it would have been so easy for Peter and the apostles to say, guys, look around. I think everything we're doing is working just fine. This place isn't going to be perfect. And also, there have been divisions amongst these groups of people for a really long time. And that's not our problem we are going to go out and we're going to keep doing what we're doing. You guys can deal with it. Ambition is a dangerous thing. And it's something that enables a lot of leaders to avoid the humility and the teachability that is required if you're going to become the kind of church that Jesus is calling them to become. An author named Michael Horton, uh, a theologian who is a seminary professor and trains uh, professors, uh, trains, trains pastors. He, he was a teacher in the seminary I attended. He, he wrote a book called Ordinary, and in it he talks about this sort of uh, this shift that's happened in the church. And he says this, he says, ambition is ambition no matter what package it comes in. There are actually leaders today who identify themselves as apostles, founders or otherwise pioneers extraordinaire of the church. While they dismiss the checks and balances of the older and wiser forms of church government, they end up claiming the throne for themselves. What he's saying in this statement is very simple. He's saying, uh, we, uh, we believe 
that uh, these sort of uh, uh, successful pastors, uh, because they bring in lots of people, because they speak really well, because many will follow them, because they build big churches, we believe that they don't have blind spots. We believe that, uh, that, that they don't have to stop and reevaluate and say, should this be about more than just me? Because the truth is, in, in many of the largest, most successful and fastest growing churches uh, in the world are built around personalities, are built around people, uh, rather than uh, the way. So here's where we get to the solution. If, if the problem is, uh, is that these groups exist, and the problem is that we have leaders who are so like qualified to lead and yet still have blind spots, then the solution is this. First, the solution is that these church leaders must be humble. We read as their response to this situation, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching and the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. So uh, what these uh, men are, are, are doing here, and, and this is incredible, is they are choosing to empower others, giving them authority in the church, and choosing to empower others who are not like them and saying, you will now go and shepherd uh, these people. Uh, the solution is humility that, that gives away power, not that holds on to it. The Christian website, The Babylon Bee, uh, I think said it best when they had an article a few years ago that simply said, nation's churches starting to think having celebrity pastors who are accountable to absolutely no one might be a bad idea. Uh, this is... Uh, <laughs> This is funny because of how incredibly true it is, but really that's, that's what's happening here in Acts. I mean, you essentially have got uh, some, some big time celebrity pastors. These, these guys are, uh, people are coming from far and wide, it says, to be touched by Peter's shadow so they will be healed. And the way that you know that they're humble, the way that you know that they're teachable, that they're willing to respond to the problem that comes up and hear what's happening is that they give away some power. The other thing that we see here, the other solution is this. It is for the church to be bigger than any one group. So what does this mean? This means raising up leaders who represent other groups. This is actions, not just words that we see happen here. It's easy for churches and pastors to say, we are for these people, right? We, we are for this cause, especially because most pastors are good at talking about things and sounding very impressive and passionate. So uh, if, if the solution is just me getting up and saying, I wanna make it really clear that we're for this, we're about this, we support these people or this thing, that's literally the easiest thing in the world for me to do. Uh, it's the thing that I first think to do, right? Um, what's the hardest thing to do for many in the position that these men are in is to let go of control, is to let go of some of the authority that they have. Not because they're abusing it, not because, uh, but because it doesn't belong to them. And the standard is really clear here. We read about it. He says, uh, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will anoint to this duty. Pick men who are three things. One, good of good repute. To be of good repute means that your actions, your behavior, they match, they're consistent with 
the gospel, with the law. People speak well of you based on their experience with you. It's not about what you heard about someone or, or the gossip. It, it is about experience with a person. So pick people who actually have lived lives that are consistent with this thing that, that, that you talk about, the gospel. Why does reputation matter when it comes to dispersing food to the needy? Well, easy. They could keep the food, right? <laughs> they could take the money, the collection. Something questionable might happen with it. And they need to be able to say that these leaders, that they trust them to do this the right way. And if they can't, then, uh, then what happens, right? Then what they've chosen to do is they go, well, yeah, you, you gave us some people to do this, but you didn't exactly pick the most honest people. You didn't exactly pick the most spiritually qualified people. And so it's not really getting to the widows still, right? Ah, sorry, we did the best that we could. These people needed to be of good repute, The second thing about them is that they have to be full of the Spirit. Up until now, leadership was largely tied to your background, the family you were born in, where you came from, where you grew up, the training and the education that you had, what nationality you were. But none of these things we see are a substitute for being filled with the Spirit. Now, don't misunderstand. When a person... Um, is converted when they become a follower of Jesus, they are given the Holy Spirit. They are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come later as like a thing you have to earn. But when, when the Bible talks about the Spirit of God being in a person and causing them to do things, what it's talking about is what is happening in that person now. So you might have people that are of good repute, people who have a good reputation, who people speak well of because of their background or their, where they come from, but... Uh, what are they, what, is there evidence in their life now that God's actually moving, that God's actually alive in their life? And what does that look like, right? The Spirit changes you now. The Spirit doesn't bless people who come from better families or who have more education or who are good looking. Does it surprise you to know that a lot of really successful pastors are very good looking? that like that's actually tied to it. I mean, studies have been done, a lot of them, about how we subconsciously prefer people who are better looking and we associate lots of things to that that, that don't apply. In fact, there's like studies that show that when uh, people look at really good looking people, the part of their brain that fires is the object recognition part of their brain, not the person recognition. So you actually see a good looking person as an object that you like that you kind of desire, and then you associate good things with them. I, I say this a lot because it makes me feel good. Like, people aren't looking at me like I'm an object. They clearly see me as a person because I have poison oak on my face. These people need to be full of the Spirit now. They need to be alive now. And what does it look like to be full of the Spirit? It is, and when the Holy Spirit enters into a person, they live and they act differently. Sometimes it's signs and wonders, but most of the time, it's a strong personal faith. It's a willingness to sacrifice your own uh, self and life and agenda, to suffer, and, 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 and it's a joy that comes from the fulfillment that comes from knowing God is better than anything else. It, uh, keep in mind that these, these Hellenist Jews were the ones that relocated themselves. They moved for this cause. They were led, many of them, so led by the Spirit that they stayed right where they were and said, we want to keep doing this. Um, when I think about this, I think about the founding of America because uh, the founding fathers, when they wrote uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, uh, as they were beginning to have uh, the, the, the Congresses that would, that would bring them together to decide that we would fight for independence, uh, 
They, they, they found that they were at a very incredibly unique time in, in the history uh, of the world, which was we as a group of people get to make our own form of government. And when they did, one of the most common uh, traits amongst the founding fathers was that they despised something called uh, hereditary nobility. And hereditary nobility is simply this. It is a person having an important position because of the family they were born in. And a person knowing that their own son or daughter or kin was going to get their position when they were done. In fact, Article 9 of the Constitution um, says clearly, no title of nobility shall be granted by the United States and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall without the consent of the Congress accept of any present enrollment, office, or title of any kind whatever from any king, prince, or foreign state. When it came time to forming our own government, we said it was vitally important that we make sure that the people that we appoint, that we elect, are not people who were just granted a title or something based on their family, their background, where those people came from. It's because we know that truly the, the good leaders are the ones who will actually be leading well now. They will have evidence of the qualifications that require that now. The last thing that you see is it says that they be full of wisdom. And wisdom and the spirit go hand in hand. You see them with each other all the time, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. Because wisdom is the idea of kind of, we think of it as reasonableness, right? Uh, there's kind of the, the spontaneity of the spirit and, and wisdom that kind of tempers it, right? With that one, you can have a sort of an imbalance. You can have this kind of crazy, unpredictable, chaotic environment of a person filled with the spirit, but with no wisdom to guide what's going on. Or you can have a person who's constantly appealing to being rational and being logical and being thoughtful and being reasonable and never actually stepping out in faith, which the spirit calls us to do again and again. So these people are people who have dimension, these men, these, these, these men that are called and anointed. These men are, in a sense, the first pastors of the church. This is a point at which the road that the church is on diverges. It can either be a group that is about addition. Let us grow as big as we can while the authority of the church is, is so centralized, is focused on such a few people, and we, we give those people total authority. We never question them. We believe that, that they are like gods, or we will go down a different path. We will be like Jesus was. Jesus, who gave authority to do things to his own disciples, didn't keep it for himself, right? Uh, and these men who will, in the same way, give authority to others, what this does is it creates a church that from that point on can grow exponentially. It can grow in multiplication, not just in addition. And that's exactly what we see it do. We see a faith that will eventually use the language of the Greeks, the Hellenists, to travel out of Judea, out of Jerusalem, out of the, this area that it's in. It is because these people are included, it is because the dispersion has happened that the word of the gospel is gonna go out so far. This is such a crucial time in the life of the church. This is not just a passage about the first time that deacons were found or that people were given spiritual gifts or jobs. What we see here is that in order to uh, serve and lead in the church, 
we need to have the spirit. We need to live lives of good repute. We need to have wisdom guiding what we do. Uh, that, that, that spiritual gifts aren't just uh, jobs that we have. They're, they're roles that come, but the spiritual gifts themselves are these things that make us shepherds. And this is why as a church, we so firmly believe that the only way that we can be this way, that we can live out this same great commission is if we create as many shepherds as we can. If we empower more people to go to other people with the gospel instead of saying, you all come and hear about it from here and let us do whatever we want. This, this is obviously a really challenging message for us, the leadership of the church to think about what these guys did that was so unique and so unusual, to think about the ability of the leadership of a church that's growing so fast to step back and say, we're not perfect and we need help. That's exactly what they did. The really incredible thing is what we'll see next week. When we see the story of Stephen and what happens the first time that somebody who's not a Hebrew-speaking Jew a Hellenist Jew does something incredible for the faith. Next week is the beginning of a whole new part of this book. It is the expansion of the church outside of just the tabernacle, the Jewish faith, and Jerusalem itself. So it's going to be good. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you uh, sent your son to live in the flesh and then to show his disciples how to lead because that is the only way that they could have known how to do this, that they could have known to be humble and teachable, God, to think of the power that they had, to think of the authority they had, to think of the things people would have let them do, and yet they didn't do them, God. It is incredible, Lord. It is truly humbling. God, would you give us the ability to have this same humility ourselves, but also, God, to recognize that the church is not just a place that uh, is led by a single person, uh, that is, consists of one single group of people, that there are no, no spiritually ideal Christians and Father, would you give each of us, just as the, uh, the, the other writers of the New Testament epistles point out, would, would you give us the desire to see the qualifications for, for deacons, for elders, for shepherds as good things, things that we should all attain to, God? Would you, would you help us be a church of people who seek after these gifts and these strengths? I believe that if, if we can be that, Lord, that there's no limit to what you can do with us, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.